Hello and welcome to Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma, and today I'm with a very special guest. It's such a great timing. Uh, we really lucked out with getting him, so it's Will Larsh, and he is the engineering lead in Flutter for Material. Did I get that right? I close I at least. For Flutter in Material. Ah, for I'm Flutter in Material. Engineering lead in Flutter for Material. <laughs> Maybe maybe it's, you're better just to introduce yourself now that I kind of gave you a short intro and messed it all up. Sure. So I, I run the Flutter team in the material design um, engineering organization at Google. Um, and I am also the engineering lead for material, one of the engineering leads for Material U, um, the new, uh, new uh, version of material that we launched this week at IO. And I'm so happy to be here, Alan. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. I mean, uh, I was always interested. I think I sent you an invitation a while back and I said, hey, uh, we all, all are Flutter developers. We all use material. Uh, and, but no, I don't think any of us really understand it. Uh, the only person who understands it is my designer. Like I said, it just yells at me whenever I get something wrong. So, uh, I really would love to have you on to kind of talk about, you know, what is material design? Why should we care about it? I mean, is that enough for you to kind of go on or you want me to ask something more specific? I mean, sure. It, hopefully, um, hopefully, some of these things become obvious as you're uh, working with them. But you know, material design is a design system, so that's a way to standardize a, a user interface and user experience, um, so that there are predictable experiences between uh, different products. Um, you know, it's I kind of think of it as a good design system can take input of the functionality and data that you have and then outputs a, really an app so that you can then go out and um, really build it a proper experience. Um, as opposed to a design language, um, which is uh, less comprehensive than a design system and often has to do with just the style part. Um, so there are several uh, you know, famous design systems out there. There's uh, ours, there's Fluent, there's Ant, um, and then, of course, it's very hit these days for large organizations to build their own, to define their own. Um, uh, Airbnb has a really, really great one, and a lot of it, I believe, is open sourced. Um, at least the guidelines are available externally. Um, uh, and so we, in, in Material is Google's, and it, it came out of a need for, I don't know if anybody remembers what Google design was like in 2013. It was uh, famous. It was, it was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it was very inconsistent. I remember being a user, but it was before I joined Google. And and then seeing what happened after Material was launched is they all started looking um, kind of predictable between them. Buttons all looked like buttons. App bars all looked like app bars. Um, and in a way that everybody agreed was good or better and very usable. And then the great thing is that as we do more research and as we um, evolve design based on feedback and the need to refresh and kind of, you know, everything visual has a bit of fashion in it. So as fashion changes, we update our design system and then it gets propagated out throughout Google um, products. Uh, but of course, the greatest thing I think that Material Design did was open source themselves uh, from the very start. At Material.io, we've had the guidelines available for many years now. 
so that people in third parties like yourselves and your listeners uh, can read it and adopt it in their apps. Um, and I think that what you get more than anything from that, if you're an independent developer, is um, some sort of comfort knowing that people are going to understand how to use your app. I think people take it for granted now because design systems have become so popular and used, but it really used to be the Wild West where interfaces were all over the place. And especially at, um, at you know, we're still reaching new markets where people aren't used to um, touch screens and they're figuring out like, if my fingers do something on the screen, what happens? If you have patterns that end up being repeatable, then people are more likely to use your product the way you want them to. Uh, we have research that shows that our text fields that um, we redesigned to have an outline on them that makes uh, people understand where they're supposed to click means that they're more likely to use them. And there's like literally more um, completion of checkout forms and credit card forms. Like there's a business, um, you know, benefit to using this design system. Um, I could just go on and on, but that, uh, see, hopefully that's a, is that, is that explain that all? Is there anything else I should go into on that? I mean, feel free to keep talking, right? So if I have to talk, that oh, means oh, that, you know, you. I'm oh, talking I'm too sorry. much, I, I think. I went to hit, um, I do not disturb is what I meant to hit, and I totally hit mute instead. There we go. <laughs> I hear you now. Sure. Technology, right? I mean, boy, look, uh, my, my computer doesn't has new UI, and I have to learn how to use it. Um, so, this is this is a common experience that everybody has. I think we we see it. A lot of us say that we see it through our parents. We watch them see a change in UI and then have to learn things. So, when you can standardize things and repeat them across different products, including ones out in the world, you know, I mean. Uh, Android was really the Wild West also before material design came along and became the standard design system for Android apps. Um, now people understand how to use experiences for the most part just as soon as they open them. It makes things more intuitive because people are trained in a way to understand what's clickable and what's not. Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious about how did the, like you said, you have proof or uh, or data that kind of shows that material really brings like a conclusion to things, right? People will check out, people will fill in things, they'll touch things it's supposed to touch. How do you guys like do all the research and, and put this into a nice looking design? So Google is now a big company. We've got about 200,000 employees or something like that. I forget what the um, official number is, but we have huge numbers of what we call UXR, user experience researchers. Um, they are based both inside material design itself and work for us when we need to validate or um, learn something about what we're doing. But then they're also embedded in all the products. You think of the big products like Gmail or Docs or Shopping or any of those things. They have their own researchers that are running tests to see the performance of their um, product. So, um, you know, the um so these these researchers run a b tests on things to see which design performs better than the other they don't take anything that we do necessarily um as gospel they um they test it out so we tested out essentially in these google products research studies come in inside the company where they say that something looks better or another and then um we make decisions based on that we also um just have um 
a really good connection to, to feedback from the other design organizations. So you may notice that buttons in a lot of Google apps um, have become pill-shaped. Um, but in the material design guidelines, they're rounded rectangle. Um, this is something where we thought rounded rectangle was the best way to go. Uh, and then designers throughout the company have felt that pill was the best way to go. And now we're starting to say like, hey, you know what, maybe you're right. And we'll take that into account and um, uh, say that that's maybe a better way to go. So we're working on taking in that feedback and maybe changing how buttons look um, in our guidelines for everybody. So um, really, I, I guess that's kind of a nice way of saying that Google has billions of dollars of revenue on the line for every change that we make inside our design and they test the hell out of it. So um, um, they will not let something go out there that um, is bad for business because at the scale that we're at where we measure our users in billions, it really is noticeable if a design change ends up having a negative consequence. So you can pretty much feel some confidence to know that if you're seeing it inside Google Apps and we're recommending it in our guidelines, it has been put through the ringer to validate that it is a good idea. Okay, that's good to know uh, because when I'm kind of looking at very generic Android apps, they have a very distinct style, right? That's kind of become... So I have a web background, right? And so when I go to a website, I could see, oh, this is bootstrap. And then usually sometimes they don't even style it with a special style, right? And now it's like you see a lot of these people who are just starting to learn Android or even Flutter, and they're just kind of coming up with these apps right now, right? I mean, I feel like Material is kind of at a, like, I don't know, I got so many questions in my head. I'm trying to think about which one I want to ask. I guess it's kind of like, you know, the, the kind of bare bones style you get out of Flutter when you get an Android app. Those ones are actually really good, you're saying, in terms of usability, right? Yes. They may be lacking in expression, and so that's why we give you um, APIs for theming so that you can put your brand into it and make it particular to yourself in ways that we know are safe and useful. So color, typography, shape, um, motion, these are things that, that you can do without breaking the usability of your app. Um, and of course, in Flutter, theming is so important. You know, that, that um, example app that we have from the start, it, it has theming in it right um, in it already because we want people to experiment with theming, to try out different colors, um, to try doing different things. And we have built in um, classes for like um, the 2018 material design look with the purple that's um, the uh, out of the box color. Um, which, by the way, we don't expect people to stick with purple. One of the reasons why I think this is kind of a secret that people don't know, but the reason we chose that purple um, that you see so much on material.io was um, not because we thought purple would be the, the hip new color and that everybody should be using it, but because we thought it was we wanted to encourage people to choose the color that works best for their brand um, that comes maybe from their brand guidelines. Um, and that if we used this purple, people would really feel like, oh, that's a very strong choice. I should probably make one to override that. Um, otherwise, my app will be purple. And yet people actually kind of like the purple and have um, actually shipped products with it, which wasn't which wasn't necessarily our intention. Um, so I guess we, uh, in some ways, we made a little trend um, by choosing something we thought would be so noticeable that people would feel they had to change it. <laughs> but 
So we do encourage people to um, to take those out of the box looks and to make them an expression of their brand um, if they have a brand. And I think that's one of the things that's tough for a lot of the Flutter and Android community is that it's independent developers. You say that you work with a designer. That's rare, actually. Um, the main use case for, for independent developers is that they have to do the design themselves. So they spend a lot of time on material.io learning about the components and how to use them. They have a question about app art, they have a question about buttons, and they actually check our guidelines to see um, how they should be making choices. Um, and so we know this and we try to do our best to help that use case, even though of course within Google, um, the main use cases, teams have embedded designers that work on them. So we know we're really good at dealing with that case. Feedback on how to help developers who don't have a designer is something that we would always love more on, on GitHub, by the way. If anybody feels like there's a tool or a piece of guidance or something that would really help them, please let us know. Um, you can also email me, anybody who's listening, at larsh at google.com. So what, what, how can we actually possibly help these developers? Um... I mean, what are you kind of looking for? Like you said, like a guideline that they can say if X, then Y is, or what are you talking about? Well, so on material.io, that's where we keep the whole design systems um, guidelines, you know, kind of the definition of, of what it is. And we've recently rewritten that website to include the um, guidance for how to use our components at the code level, along with the design level stuff, because people, um, often don't just have a question on button, they have a question on how buttons should be composed inside an experience or what's okay to put inside a button, stuff like that. Um, because they're having to do both roles and they're not experts in the design part. They know more about the code. Um, so we tried to put that information in one place. Um, that's a change that came last year uh, and I think will be uh, really useful as we uh, you know, we're refreshing material design this year, and so later this year we're going to have a big update to the guidelines and to the components. So being able to see the design guidance alongside the developer guidance should hopefully be um, really useful for all those independent developers out there. Um, another thing that we're um, just trying to think about is uh, how we can help people who don't have a defined brand. Um, I think a lot of people are like a startup or um, a person who's working on a project themselves and they don't have a brand book. They don't have an agency that they paid to make a palette and a logo and all of the things that a, a professional company has. And we're, we're trying to figure out what the, what the best tools are for that use case. And I think that's one of the things that I'd love some suggestions on from the listeners. like. When you go to theme your app and to style it to look like your own, what does <coughs> fly in my mouth? Oh my God, <coughs> summer in New York, sorry. Oh, I'm vegan. Well, I guess I'm not today. Um, so uh, if you don't have style um, definitions for yourself, um, what what would be helpful for that? Is it more guidelines on how to choose that? Is it tools that give predefined palettes and um, typography choices? Or is it more examples that you can just take and copy? You know, um, at gallery.flutter.dev, we have several of the um, material studies up there, like Shrine, 
um, which I think people use a lot for understanding how material design and material theming work. They're very, um, <coughs> they're very, excuse me, um, they're very heavily themed and the code to them is all available. So we, we encourage people to, um, to go and to copy that code from github.com slash flutter slash gallery and to use it inside their own experiences. Okay. Are you still here? Okay. I think I might've lost you for a second. Sorry, I, I muted myself while I was coughing. Oh, that's what I figured. No worries. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm actually quite surprised uh, at how much Google really, really cares about people using, uh, you know, really kind of doubling down, trying to get developers to really use it. But, I mean, they have to have a motive, right? And I think them is that they also want to expand their ecosystem, right? Or or also, and also maybe get people used to the material design so when they go to Google products, they really know how to use it. Is that also maybe another reason? I mean, that's a big part of it. People, if, you know, Google has hundreds of products. We have, you know, I think like approaching 200 apps on the Play Store. There are Google apps. You may not even see them all in your market because some of them are specific to different countries. Um, then we have a, probably a thousand different web products. They should help each other in teaching people how to use technology. And again, the listeners on this show are probably very good at using technology, but we know that the that I think it's only um, a quarter or a third of the world has um, really predictable internet access. And um, that means there are billions of people that we're still trying to um, create better experiences for as they learn how to use technology. <coughs> Excuse me. So like one of the things um, we do that we find is very impactful is have an ink ripple. Um, when you touch something, you'll see that ink, we call it ink. It's like an animation that comes out that lets you know that you've touched it and that it's um, doing something. Um, that's not just a stylistic choice. That's absolutely there uh, because um, people who are still learning how to use uh, technology and apps and stuff like that don't know what their fingers do. And that gives them feedback that lets them know that they have touched something and that it's doing something. Um, so, you know, all of this stuff teaches people um, how to use um, technology because it really, you know, apps and websites, they should be not the point. The point is whatever you're trying to do with them and, and um, a good website or app doesn't get in your way. It enables you to do whatever you're trying to do. You know, Gmail is about connection and communication. Um, you know, uh, Docs is about creation. It shouldn't be about using a website or using an app. Um, and so the more we can standardize these experiences, the more people can get to the point of them. And having a healthy ecosystem for third-party developers is very important as a, um, as, as a way to bring kind of that to everything. We know that our products are not the, the end-all be-all of the world. Like there's a lot of them, of course, but there's far more by other companies and um, other developers. And they're on Android and they're on the web. And if those things work well and people understand them the same way that they understand ours, then we can be better partners. Then that means that maybe you'd uh, trust us to put... Um, uh, like our uh, ad servers inside them or to use um, Google Cloud or something like that. There are lots of things that we um, 
offer to developers that will work better if the app works really well and the app works really well, not just if it doesn't have bugs and glitches, but if the design makes sense and people are able to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish on it. So there's just a lot of synergy in helping other people have good experiences, which is one of the reasons why Google has such a huge developer relations department. I mean, I don't know how many developer advocates we have, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it were probably, I, I mean, at least in the high hundreds or something like that. And so they're the people that put on IO, they're the people that run meetups um, and write documentation and, and have YouTube videos on how to use, um, of course, you know, Google products that, that we hope developers will want to integrate with, but also anything that's useful for making technology better for people out there in the world. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, uh, we can lift all the boats if we raise the sea together. Of course, the, the, the oceans are rising, but I guess that's a different um, podcast. Um, so uh, anything we can do to help developers out there have better experiences is going to help them. It's going to help us. And most importantly, it's going to mean that maybe when somebody's on Android or in Chrome, they associate it with a good feeling and with usability and being able to do what they want instead of the frustration of not understanding what they're looking at and not knowing what to do, um, which I think is how things were before we had really good guidelines for design, at least on um, Android. Um, obviously, design systems have existed in other platforms in the past, although I think I, I think they just keep getting better and more beautiful. If I think about like what design looked like on the Windows computer that I was using in the 90s and stuff like that, it made sense, but I feel like there was not such an emphasis on um, feeling like you were working in something beautiful. People like pretty things. It makes um, a positive emotional connection to them. Um, and then they associate your brand with a good feeling. Um, and people will want to use something that's pretty. You know, people want to stay in pretty places and um, as opposed to get in and get out, where I think uh, early computer design was intimidating to people. I mean, that whole monochrome look and things were like all in the terminal. Unless you were a person who was like kind of turned on by science fiction and thought there was glamour and that sort of thing, people really were turned off by them, intimidated by them, didn't want to use them, or they would try to use them as little as they could. That's not good for your metrics if people want to get in and get out <laughs> with your app. I mean, you probably want to teach them something, make them think like, um, I mean, think about how fast, I mean, how much we use things, uh, you know, I think everybody has an app that's their like fidget app. Like for me, it's LinkedIn. I go on LinkedIn all day long and just and check through the feed and stuff like that. But for some people, maybe it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or something like that. If those apps were unpleasant places to be that had problems with usability and were ugly, we probably wouldn't have this urge to check them very often. Um, we might just use them like as needed which is fine for accomplishing a task, but very bad for discoverability, for learning new things, for making new connections. Okay, yeah, that gives me a very interesting perspective. Uh, what, I, what I actually am kind of curious about, right, is uh, kind of going back to what I mentioned before, where it's like you open up a default Android app, you don't get the, sorry, I think you called it the expression, right, of, of the individual app. How much expression can you really give to an app before you kind of get out of material, right? 
I know you have some guidelines, but excuse me, I haven't actually read them very deeply, and I just know she did update okay. the website. So I I feel embarrassed. I should have gone through and, and check it. So that's going to be on my list for this weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, like, how much personalization can you actually add to material before you're just not very materialistic or material-like, or what would you call that? Sure. I mean, first I'll say that for anyone curious on this subject, we have some really great videos on um, uh, Google Developer YouTube on material theming. That's what we call the, the act of uh, customizing material design to express a brand and be um, to be unique to an app. Um, and the all the guidelines around that are on uh, color. It's one thing to say like, hey, make your app more colorful, but then when you actually get down to it, you need some to be taught how to do that. Um, luckily in Flutter, we have a really good theming APIs. So if you choose a primary color and a secondary color and a text color and all error color and all those things, they will propagate properly throughout all the components. Whereas on you know other platforms, you may have to set each of those colors individually on individual instances of components, which is a lot of work. I came from iOS, which doesn't have um, like a, a, a very strong concept of uh, theming the way that the web does with CSS, which kind of um, just makes things happen. Um, so I think that's one of the things we have to our benefit is that for any of these choices, in some of the platforms, they can be really easy to be impactful. So color is the main one. Um, shape is another, and by shape, we mostly mean corner radius. Um, you know, we've experimented with this idea of cut corners, and um, I'm just going to say that we've noticed that people don't really use those. It's mostly about corner radius. Do so you have really rounded corners? Do you have kind of rounded corners? Do you have sharp corners? That sort of thing. Um, elevation is another one. How um, how drastic are your shadows? Are they very noticeable? Are they not there except in some places? Are they of a different color? Um, uh, sometimes, um, uh, you know, with Material U, the new version that we have now, we're actually starting to experiment with what it looks like to um, have less shadows as one of your uh, choices. And uh, I personally like it a lot, but shadows are also very useful for teaching people how things behave because there's this kind of like implied Z access axis on an app um, that helps uh, different components decide like what can go over or under another thing. And that's all, oh my God, the designers spend so much time designing that sort of thing. Um, and uh, see, what's another one? Typography. So fonts, that's choosing different fonts for different usages. There's the display fonts, which are the ones that are kind of like titles, um, like up in your top app bar or when you're using big text. And then there's body fonts, which are for um, content, for reading smaller things. Uh, it's important to be intentional about those fonts. Um, at Google, we use a font called Google Sans, which is based on our logo. So it like makes people think Google and invokes the Google brands. Like, But we're, of course, very spoiled to be able to have font designers that can make special fonts just for us. For everyone else, we have fonts.google.com, the Google Fonts product, which is, uh, I think, a thousand or more um, open source uh, or open licensable fonts that you can use inside your apps, um, in your products, in your logo, whatever you want, for free. Uh, and they're beautiful. We expand them uh, often to have more support for languages, like adding Cyrillic, adding Vietnamese. Um, 
we have support there for AJK languages um, in many places. It's just, um, it's very important to us to make sure that we support all languages. Um, and, uh, oh, um, so choosing different fonts, you can choose those, put those into your theme, and they should behave uh, the way you want them to and go places you want them to. And see, there's probably another one for theming that we have. Color, shape, typography, elevation, motion is another one. So things move inside apps, of course. Um, uh, there's always some motion. And you may notice that some brands may have more playful springy animations. So if something moves from left to right, it doesn't just go there. It may like go there and like bounce for a sec. That's uh, a very playful, like childlike choice you could make if you have an app that's for children. And then we have all of these, what we call animation curves, which define if something moves linearly where it's the same speed all the way across, or if it starts slow and then gets faster as it gets closer to it, or starts fast and then slows down. And these things all give different feelings. They're all different expressions. Um, and we have lots of those different curves that people can choose from inside uh, Flutter. Uh, so choosing your animation curves is one of the best things you can do if you're doing any motion. Don't leave things linear is the, pretty much the, 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 the one easy design tip I'll give anybody who's having any motion going on in their app. Um, yeah, so I think those are the main five that we have right now. If you make choices in those five different things, then you will have an app that's specific to you as opposed to um, one that doesn't evoke a connection between the user and your company. Because again, the point is not the app, it's whatever you're trying to do inside the app and you want people to remember that when they're interacting with your thing that has your colors and your font, they remember, ah, that's a good place where I do the thing that I like to do and so I want to do it more. Um, sorry, do you mind to actually give that, give the, you mentioned some videos on YouTube, I was actually trying to look those up. So it was uh, material, what was that? Yeah, let me. You can share link exactly. with me, and I'll make sure to put it into the to the notes. Yes, I can totally do that. Um, yes. Yeah, I think you definitely gave some really good tips. I had no idea about any of this kind of stuff. Uh, there should be a chat. I think you can drop it. Yeah, in. I mean, I'm and I'm like um, zooming through it uh, super fast, uh, but there's sure. you know they they can go on for as long or as short as you want. So um, there's a link to one of the videos from ah. Google Design, and then. Um, oh, here's a really good one. Oh, stop autoplay uh, on how to do dark theme because, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we make choices that have to be both in light and dark. Um, and uh, it, if you just look in the right column after you click on one of these, it's full of really great suggestions from us in there too, from IO 2018, IO um, 2019, it's um, from this year. Um, boy, we had a really lot of cool videos this year. Uh, the other thing is material IO slash blog, I think. Yes, material IO slash blog is a really great resource. Uh, that's where we post articles, um, you know, kind of bite-sized articles on these subjects for people to chew on and learn things. I'm looking at it now and it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's one, um, Announcing our uh, guidance for large screens, which is something that we just released this year, which is how um, to 
how to help migrate an experience from uh, mobile to tablet, um, which is people something people have asked for for a long time. Um, how to work between iOS and Android. There's just lots of really, really great content there. Uh, again, working in dark theme. Also this year, we, we released material design for WordPress, if anybody works in WordPress out there, um, which is uh, pretty exciting. It was, people have asked for that for a long time, and we finally had uh, time to build that one. So we're really proud of that. And in Jetpack Compose, which is you know another platform that we're really excited to support. So I think at the moment we support like Angular, Web, WordPress, Compose, Android, built-in Android views, um, uh, Flutter, and I know that we have um, an iOS offering on GitHub too. Yeah, so there's lots of there's lots that material engineering um, puts out there for the community in the world to 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 build their experiences with. Yeah, actually, it's kind of interesting because I do remember in Flutter, right? Uh, some things are slightly different based on what kind of device you have, right? If you have iOS versus Android, right? I think there's one of the differences is I think on an Android, if you swipe up, you're going to get something similar to an ink, an inkwell kind of popping up, but you don't get that on iOS, right? So right, Apple this is also actually, part of Material, right? This yes, kind of it is thing. all part. Of, mm -hmm. Yes, Sorry, we we. Um, you know, Google uh, has to be its omni-platform. We have to reach people wherever they are on whatever kind of phone or browser or device that they're on. And people expect us to be there with, with the kind of ubiquity that Google has. They let us know if we're not in the place that they want them to be. They'll say, where's my Gmail for, um, you know, tripad? Uh, so um, if... Uh, we have a lot of users on iOS. There's so many people on iOS. It's a very important platform. And one of the things that we've done over the years is listen to feedback and do experiments to see how we can um, make sure that that's an idiomatic experience for people on that platform. What we don't want is to just make people, like I said, we want them to, to feel familiar and happy when they're using an app. And if we, if we bring things that, are, that don't really belong on that platform to that platform, then people have to be like, what is this? How does it work? I'm not used to this. I have to learn something again. Um, and I think some of our early iOS design had that problem. And so we've um, learned which things are important to people um, to feel like an iOS experience makes sense to them. Some of those things are switches. Switches should look like Apple's iOS design language switches. Um, Checkboxes are another thing. People don't use um, the same kind of checkbox on iOS. They often use just um, a check icon instead of having the square around it. Uh, radio buttons are another. There aren't radio buttons on um, on iOS. Uh, menus used to be another. There used to be no menus on iOS, and now they've just added menus on iOS. So we're um, you know probably interested in bringing menus back to iOS. And so we, we know this in Flutter that people are going to build once and then ship it out to all these different platforms. So if we can make it easier for them to make some of these choices, then we've taken that work off your plate. And so for some of the very, very basics like that, we have um, some ways of doing that. One is the dot adaptive constructor. If you use a switch from the material library, but use the constructor dot adaptive, on iOS, it will look like a Cupertino or Apple switch. But on um, Android or other things, it will look like a material switch. The same with slider. Um, we also know that transitions are different. They come in, depending on if you're on iOS or Android, they 
completely different behavior. Um, and so you get that out of the box if you're using uh, Navigator and Roots and stuff like that. Um, in fact, somebody was just putting in a, um, I forget if it was a pull request or a GitHub issue asking for on web for there automatically to be no transitions. So I know that we're considering that right now because on web sites just change. They don't like come in from the right or come in from the bottom like they do on mobile. Um, so we're uh, considering making that easier for people. Please let me know, everyone out there, if you think that would be useful to you. Um, oh, and then typography. So Apple uh, really requests that people who are building apps for their platforms use their um, typography for um, body fonts called San Francisco. Um, so it's in the vast majority of iOS apps. But then we always had guidance um, saying that people should use uh, Roboto, which is our body font. Then it's one of those things that made people go when they would get into a, a Google app or a material designed app on iOS, like something about this feels very wrong and I don't know what, because it's a very minor change and they, you know, a letter is still a letter, but they knew that something was weird. It was the spacing. It was the way they were slightly drawn. If you put them over each other, you would notice that like the words don't line up. So we give you that for free on Flutter, which is really cool. It just automatically shows people the San Francisco font when they're opening it on an iOS app. I think it might even do that on a Mac OS app, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it, being adaptive like that um, as much as possible is something people have asked for. One of the things that I will say we can't really do is to give people for free automatically a completely different experience. Um, there is not as much of a definition of a design system on iOS the same way that there is um, in Material. So some users out there have said like, I want my iOS app and my Android app, both built with Flutter, to look completely different, but I don't know what that difference should look like. So we've experimented over the years on trying to figure out how to do that for people. But um, aside from these small adaptations that we do, I don't think that anybody should expect that we're going to be working on any um, kind of like uh, making large choices for people. So if you watch this talk that we had from IO, I think two years ago, on Flutter and being adaptive, um, we, we show people how to make those choices in their code. How do you use um, uh, switches and if statements for checking the platform that something's running on to um, either return maybe different layout or return different widgets, or in some cases, entire different widget trees based on what they want. Um, so Flutter makes it kind of easy for people to do that. Um, we we still believe that, that having one code base, uh, especially for your business logic, is the best way to go, even if your UI needs to be a little bit different in both places. What we never, never want is to, for people to feel like we're forcing Android design to be in other places. That's uh, Material is definitely associated with Android a lot. It works on other platforms, but it works best if you make it idiomatic to those platforms. Okay, actually, I was kind of curious about, uh, you, you did make the comment about um, that fonts on Android would be Roboto and iOS obviously would use the San Francisco. How do you actually set that? Because, um, yeah, I mean, I know in my project, one of them is specifically Roboto. Uh, I think it's Roboto on, on both platforms. I haven't really, I mean, I never really put them side by side, but 
Is it if you actually specifically said Roboto, or is it just default? It's going to be like that. Um, you know, I'm I'm I forget if if you can accidentally overwrite it by being explicit about Roboto. Um, you, you, there's a, I think a really great uh, article on Flutter.dev iOS Roboto. I am googling in another um, window. Let's see. Font features in Flutter. Use a custom font. Because um, I, I know that you just get that for free. If you don't declare Roboto as your font, you probably just don't have to do anything. Um, I can't recall it that if you are setting Roboto explicitly, if that then might override the San Francisco choice, but it might. But also, again, the difference between San Francisco and Roboto is slight. It is oftentimes about the impression of it, the kind of je ne sais quoi of the, the font and the words. It's not necessarily the difference between um, like Comic Sans and Google Sans. Like it, I, I often have, if you put them in front of me, I might not be able to tell you which is which. Um, but if you overlap them, then you could really see. So, oh, probably the best thing to do is to, um, is to run an emulator and a simulator that have exactly the same size and then see if the letters uh, and words have different um, endings. You know, like can it fit the same number of letters on a line or not? And if they don't, then they're different fonts because uh, I think Roboto has slightly larger spacing between letters than San Francisco does or the other way around, but they're not the same in that way. So that really adds up across a whole line of like 40 letters. You end up seeing that you can fit 35 from one and 40 from another. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Actually, you taught me a lot of stuff today. I did no idea that there was so much you could do. I don't even know about the adaptive. Uh, it's good to know because I get handed one design and I just kind of make it work on both platforms. But I think the adaptive could be quite interesting to have, like you said, you know, people are expecting a certain experience on certain platforms, right? So it's, yeah. it's good to know. And we encourage people to experiment with that. It, we hear that that's what most developers do is they they tinker with the design until it feels right on iOS. Um, I think there's lots of people out in the community that um, post their results from that. Uh, um, they're also, if you have iOS and Android devices to check with, which is always the best if you're going to be shipping to these platforms, you know, download the same version of your favorite apps on both of them and look at it. What does Spotify look like on iOS? What does Spotify look like on Android? And that can help give you some inspiration or choices. And then listen to your users. Hand your phone to someone who, who is an iPhone user and say, how does this feel? Does this feel right? Does this look good? Um, and they'll tell you, um, they'll tell you how they feel. People usually are good at that. People have visceral reactions to such sorts of things. To be honest, like, I think that's one of the powerful features about Flutter is that uh, what I don't like is that I have uh, one of the guys I work with over here, I have an iOS device as my primary. He's using an Android one. I want to point to him on, point him something uh, on the Facebook app and Facebook obviously is using React Native, right? And you get different experience. And I'm like, wait a minute, how do you find this thing? I'm trying to, to teach him how to do something or to find something. And I have no idea how to help him. And actually that's, to me, that's actually the benefit of having Flutter is that most of my clients are small, right? I have a company that's the size of one is one of my clients, right? And for him to go out there and have, okay, he uses iOS 
and he has to go meet a, you know one of his people and they have Android and they want to use the same app, it's just easy for him to say, hey, look at mine, and they can follow along as opposed to some experience where I have with the guy using Facebook where it's totally different experience. That's to me, I think is better, uh, but you know, it depends, like you said, what you're expecting. Yeah, some some consistency between apps is useful for people because they do change platforms a bit. Um, everybody in at least uh, Western markets uses, uh, in addition to their mobile apps, the web. So if you have similarities between your designs on web and mobile, you will see that people have less to learn. Um, yeah, it can be difficult if apps have completely different experiences. Usually at least the information architecture is the same on some, but um, I've, I'm not mistaken at Facebook, I don't think that, that their main stack for building their apps is um, React Native. I might be wrong. I think they might be using um, mostly um, the SDKs that come from Android and from iOS. Um, I think they talk about it sometimes in their developer blog, but also like they have huge experience. I mean, like the Facebook app is gigantic and probably yeah. different parts are built in different ways too. But they, I pretty much guarantee that they have different designers, you know, a design team for the iOS app and a design team for the Android app and that they diverge. We see that um, sometimes on Google Teams, they have the same thing with different designers on iOS and Android. And what we try to do is to not force them to come back together, but to help people see where they might be duplicating work that really doesn't need to be duplicated. Are there things between your web, iOS, and Android app that um, are idiomatic to be the same, where it's okay, you're not making a foreign feeling experience for people when they use it, and then you can share componentry, you can share, um, you know, maybe if you're using Flutter, obviously you can share code, um, the designers can share um, ideas and kind of meet in the middle and have more to do with each other. Collaboration is how we get the best ideas. So keeping people too siloed to where they're not communicating with each other, it's just more likely that you're going to end up having something good in one place and not in another. And if you're a business, anything that's good, you want everybody to have it so that um, they use it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Have you actually ever looked at something like KMM? Have you heard of that before? The Kotlin multi-mobile thing, multi-platform mobile? No, no. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as I type it, it goes KMM versus Flutter, the Google. So what is it? Tell me. Um, I would say it's kind of the opposite of what Flutter is. And let me say it like this, is that the with Flutter, I would say you kind of share the front end. And of course, there's you know there's some things where you're very native for each platform. With KMM, you actually kind of share the back end, but each platform you have to build separately. So if you need iOS, you have to build an iOS with Swift UI. If you need Android, you have to use, you know, Jetpack Compose or whatever is for Android. But you share the business logic across. So it's similar with Flutter where you can share business logic, but at the same time, you have to still double up your efforts on the UI. So I thought that's actually kind of a, a little bit of a loose situation to me. I mean, that's at least something. Yeah. I mean, coming from my history of working as an iOS developer before I um, worked on Flutter, I can't tell you the number of teams I was on where we said, well, we'll get to Android later. And then we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, or, and that happens on Android also. They say, we'll get to iOS later. And then maybe they don't because small companies have you know finite resources. Anything that gets part of that out of the way, either if it's sharing code for UI or sharing code for business logic, that 
gives you a head start in doing your project means you're probably more likely to continue and to finish and to be successful. I think it, as this world that we call, of ambient computing, as we call it at Google, continues to expand where people have watches and um, countertop devices and TVs and all sorts of devices, people are going to need or need to have your app experience in so many places. You can't risk that a, a, a piece of code is going to get fragmented and work differently on all these different experiences. You will notice that like Google Docs works the same way everywhere it's used because they figured out the best way for them to share business logic on such products. Um, it works the same on Android, iOS, and web. The UIs may be a little bit different, but the way you compose your document is exactly the same because it's just too important that, I mean, business logic is our product for most of these things. And if you have separate copies of business logic, then it's just instantly you're at risk for making mistakes between those things, for them getting fragmented, for somebody updating something in one place and not telling the people on the other team about it. I mean, that happens all the time when people have siloed teams. So. I think it's very smart that this other project exists for doing something to help people get past that problem. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I, I dislike is that you still double up your efforts on the UI, which I think to me is the most important part because when people see the app, they judge it based on the, the design, right? I mean, uh, I, I, that's my impression, right? People look at it and say, this is a POS or, you know, this is great looking, no matter if it actually is good or not. Yeah, I mean, obviously, being a UI person and, and working on Flutter, uh, I agree. Um, but uh, perhaps this is the baby step that some people need in order to get to that realization. I know that uh, when I was an iOS developer, it, I, I took a lot of pride in being uh, completely separate from other places and being special and um, um, being expensive. Uh, so the idea of sharing any code seemed like a threat to me. Uh, and I think that 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 there are still lots of people, not just in iOS, but in all sorts of different places that have that feeling where if they begin to share a skill with somebody else, that then they are less unique. But the, the, it's, the opposite is true. If you can share a skill that people need and is in demand, then you are in demand. You know, The more you learn and the more you can do, then the more you can do for people and the more jobs that you can get i mean really just skills beget opportunities yeah i've heard different things i mean it's kind of like if you have a if you if you're going to have a you know divorce or whatever right you, you don't want to get a lawyer who maybe is not so specialized you probably want to get the most specialized you can right it, i mean it, i could see it either way i mean to me i have to juggle so much every day that it's just it's good because I get different experiences, but at the same time, sometimes you do want somebody who's very specialized at one thing because that's very core to your business, right? I mean, the way I would just twist that is instead of saying you want someone who's specialized in just one thing, you want someone who is experienced in the thing that you need. And that doesn't mean they can't be experienced very much in other things as well, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. You need that lawyer that has a special kind of knowledge and understanding, but there is only benefit that comes if they also have that knowledge and understanding in other things, because things often go together in surprising ways. This is true. Uh, I, sorry, I, we were kind of running out of time, but I don't mind to extend this a little bit if you, if you don't have anything going on. I do have a bit of time, so that's fine. Okay, so uh, I did want to get to what just happened recently, right? So 
maybe I'll let you kind of introduce like, you know, what's kind of come out because uh, two things. One is, you know, I don't want to, you know, I want to give you a chance to talk about it. The other thing is I'm afraid I, maybe I missed something that maybe, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself. Right. So you're might... not embarrassing. Don't worry, Alec. But I, I have a feeling that what you're dancing around is material. You, the big announcement. That's one thing, right? But you, you updated the website. You also updated, uh, you have, one of the coolest things, I just mentioned it directly, and my designer did the um, a nice little picture. I don't know if you've seen it, the one where it's swiping, right? That is very oh, cool. No, you haven't seen that one? Oh, the swiping, yes. Have you seen you that? Know, you asked me about that, sorry, and I didn't say anything, but um, one of the things that we that we gave a preview of this week, I believe, is the new behavior for what we call overscroll, which is when you get to the end of a list and you are still trying to pull on it. Um, that is being updated in Android 12 um, to a new look. So it won't just look like the inkripple explosion anymore. It'll look slightly not, different. Not, not that one. You're talking about the one that where it's squeezed like your like your inertia, right? Where you're kind of pulling. Yeah, that's what you're talking about, yes. right? Yeah, that's the one mm -hmm. that we she did a picture of that. Have you you seen that one, right? The picture or no? I don't think so. Okay, I can drop it to the chat for you so you can take a look. Because obviously we kind of scrambled and we had a public holiday on Wednesday. Um. So yeah, she tried to emulate that when her picture looks very nice, I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's so cool. That's exactly it. This sort yeah. of transform um, for the new overscroll. Um, I was skeptical of it at first and then I started using it. Um, I've been beta testing Android S for months now because my team has been working on it and it just, it just makes sense. It's like very intuitive and um, kind of beautiful. When can we get this in Flutter? I want to play with it. <laughs> It looks like fun. We actually have someone working on it right now. Okay. Um, uh, one of the engineers on the main Flutter team is working on it. Uh, she's made an awful lot of progress. The designers are still um, finalizing the designs. They're taking in feedback. And of course, we just uh, showed it to the world. So we're getting in feedback from IO this week. So they may even make small tweaks based on um, public reaction and stuff like that. So I think it'll be very soon. It'll definitely be in time for um, the Android S launch in the fall. Okay, I'm looking that forward is. to playing with that. And I also, I've seen you guys are kind of really pushing animations now. So is there also some plans to kind of make animations easier or certain animations from Android well, 12 coming in? I don't know if you know about the animations package that um, we worked on is the official material motion package in pub.dev. If you just search animations, the one that comes up is by Google. It's really great. It gives you several kinds of transitions that are commonly used out of the box. The truth is that animation is hard no matter what platform you're on. So tools like that, um, you know, packages like that are, are really, really useful for people to do things that your designer says like, what's the big deal? But the big deal is that it's incredibly hard to build animation. So we try to make it easier for people um, when we can. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't even know about this package. I mean, we should hang out every day. It seems like you always give me so many things I need to, <laughs> to learn, wow. Because this is- Oh, we have so much stuff. The only thing I didn't really know about was, uh, or the only thing I did know about was Hero, right? The Hero widget. And I just look at the first one over here, this transform one is very similar to Hero, I think. Um, yes, more to it, I Hero think. is kind of like the, is the baby brother um, in this, or the bigger brother in this situation. Like it all began with Hero and then transform, container transform and stuff like that are the 
are the next step. It's updated by our designers, our motion designers, in order to be kind of contemporary. It's just very, very useful that way. I think Hero is one of the um, things that the Flutter team should be most proud of because it's a very difficult animation and they've made it easy and they've kind of set the standard for that. Um, yeah, people love using Hero and I think they'll love using this container transform just as much. I've done some talks where I demo it. It's a very small amount of code in order to get a kind of elegant looking animation there. And by the way, animations that are container transforms, like I've tapped maybe a cell, uh, a you know, one, one part of a list and then that grows into the next view. That is so useful for users to make that context link between what they clicked on and then where they're going. People have a much better experience when they're able to make that connection between what they've touched and then what happens next. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was actually surprised that you said animations is something that people should be personalizing or theming as you call it, right? Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. Now that you mentioned, like you said, if it's for a child, bouncy, etc., right? Um, yeah, what, is there anything else I missed that's kind of new for material design itself before we kind of get onto the material you? Of course, that's the big, the big thing, right? I mean, that's the story. I mean, I, I would be talking about material you all day long if I could. Well, honestly, I do. I mean, that's my job. Um, but, you know, it was the big announcement that we had this year. Our uh, VP of design, my my um, super big old boss man, Matthias, got up on the stage with Sundar and, and was talking about it. It's uh, a partnership that we did uh, first with the Android team. And so it's part of the redefinition of what Android S looks like. And then it's also um, coming to all platforms over the next few years. It's obviously doing a refresh to a design system takes a lot of time both for the definition of the designs and then for us to build the components and then for products to adopt them. Um, you may remember this from 2014, um, not 2014. Well, yes, from 2014, when it took time for material to propagate throughout all of like Google's apps and then the Android ecosystem, but also in 2018, when we did material two, it, uh, and it took some time for your Google apps to get the white backgrounds, which was the new style that we had um, and the four Google colors used explicitly throughout it, um, white app bars and stuff like that. But now with Material U, color uh, is something that we can personalize. We've taken Material theming and said, what's the next level of it? So instead of just being based on a brand, it's a collaboration essentially between the brand and the user. On Android, it's actually really fancy. It starts with your wallpaper. And um, the new wallpaper and styles app is really, really cool. I can't wait for everybody to see it. Um, people from my team have actually been working on it. Uh, and it's just beautiful. You can set a wallpaper, maybe it's a picture of your family or a cat or all this art that we supply to people. We have professional photographers and illustrators that come out of the box with cool things, sometimes based from your favorite properties. Oh, that's the bell. If I don't get that, it's gonna keep going. This is Brooklyn, sorry. Sure. Oh, sorry, pandemic life. We are always working from our home. Um, luckily, this was just one interview that my cat hasn't ruined yet. Although I think she knows that something's going on without her and she will definitely try at some point. Um, so what was I even talking about? What was the last thing I said? You're talking about material you. Um... Material you, the wallpapers, right. So yeah. you choose a wallpaper. Uh, and wallpapers, of course, have colors inside them. That's what photographs and illustrations are. 
we have a really cool color extraction algorithm that analyzes it for the most impactful colors and then processes them to, for certain standards of lightness and darkness or luminosity in order to set accessibility um, uh, contrast ratios for it. And then uh, we use that to, um, to style your uh, Android experience, to style your apps. They can use it for their backgrounds, for their app uh, bars, their bottom nav, which we also have a new bottom nav. Um, it's a really cool way for people to have a very personalized experience where instead of just feeling like it's about choices somebody made somewhere else so long ago, it's about a choice that you're making right now in your own phone. And over time, we're going to work so that that follows you um, to other places if you want it to. So when you're on your MacBook on gmail.com, it can look personalized to you the same way that it does on your Android phone, that your home device can be personalized to you the same way that your MacBook is. So your Chrome OS laptop at school can be personalized to you the same way, um, you know, or maybe even different, like you could uh, have different styles for different places. Um, and we just get such a great reaction from people when they see this. They love this idea that it's not um, about, it. you know, it's it's not just about choices somebody else made that they thought were pleasing to them, but about ones that really go with who you are and what's important to you. And it's a lot of fun to play with them. It's a lot of fun to change up all the colors inside Android, um, to change up the colors inside your apps um, by choosing these different wallpapers. It becomes something, just something that you will want to do more often to just feel like, oh, Seasons have changed, you know? It's winter now, it was summer. I wanna see what it looks like if I bring in warm colors to help me feel warm in this cold time. It, it really does have an effect on people. I was actually kind of curious about like, if you have multiple devices with the same Google account, how does the chain of the wallpapers work? Because it's supposed to follow you throughout your experiences. So that means that if you set it on your Android phone and you went to YouTube or, or some Google product on your computer, right? It would also follow you there, no? Eventually, at first, it's just going to be on Android. So that's what you're going to see this fall is that it's on Android S. And then in the future, my team will be building out, out on, um, on an experience that can follow you to different places. Although, um, while we're in the phase for um, specking this, we're also taking in feedback as to whether or not people would like that or if they would really like to have different personalizations for different devices, which is kind of what I think people want, where perhaps the wallpaper that you have on your Android device is not the same one that you would want to have on your home device or on your um, MacBook. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that uh, kind of is just in the idea stage around that. Um, and if people out there have requests or something, I would we, we would love to hear it. You know, it's, um, it's one of the cool things about making an announcement like this is now we're at that phase where I can say, and what do you think, you know? Uh, you did pass me the video. Is it okay if I show it on here and you kind of walk us through it? I just didn't know yes, if it's okay. Yes, please do. I, I would love to have yes. this because I did kind of understand it, but I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. Again, I don't want to uh, sure. embarrass myself. So. Uh, yeah, this is a video um, that we showed uh, at IO. Okay, um, so let me know when I should stop it. So, so okay, that's so, good. Well, I would pause right there. Yeah. So this is um, showing how from 
from a, a small amount of seed colors, perhaps that we pulled from an image, we uh, have algorithms that can expand that into internal, entire tonal palettes it, so that we can choose a scheme that's, that's uh, extrapolated from seed colors. Um, and if you look at this, you'll see that the ones at the bottom are darker, the ones at the top are lighter. And those are the ones that we're primarily choosing, the darker ones and the lighter ones, because we have, um, we try to um, stick to uh, guidelines for contrast ratio. They're standardized by WCAG, um, W-C-A-G. You can learn about it uh, so that things are readable and you need to have a certain kind of lightness and darkness um, contrast in order for text and, and uh, iconography to be readable. Like you'll notice here that the check marks at the top are darker colors because they're on lighter colors. You wouldn't see them if they were lighter colors on lighter colors. So that's why we're able to create a, a tonal palette for you from numbers zero to 900. And we have standardized the luminosity so that if you make a choice of such and such number and such and such number, we guarantee that it's going to have a readable contrast ratio. Um, so we're like actually standardizing the way color works in order to be uh, more accessible um, when you use it correctly. So this, I mean, with this kind of tool, I mean, it seems like you can really appeal for developers, like you said before, if you can have some kind of way to help them to better personalize their apps, right? I mean, is there a way that you can actually extract this kind of idea and give developers a chance where they could pass something in, maybe their brand logo or something and get something similar like this? That's really good feedback. Um, I can actually speak to the team that works on tooling about that idea. I think um, people have spoken about that a bit, but in many ways, the best way to test this out will be just to change the wallpaper. Um, you know, if you want to see what something looks like involving um, your brand colors, you could just put your brand colors in the wallpaper and then see what the extracted palette looks like, which is kind of cool. It'll just do it for you. I was also thinking like, is, is there any more customization? So like maybe you get like 90% there when I'm happy with this, but I'd like to have this one a little bit darker, a little bit lighter. You can actually kind of go in there and tweak some of these palettes yourself, or is it just whatever we give you, it's kind of, you know, that's just the end of the end of it. Well, everything is always overridable. So of course, if, if for some reason you said maybe that this app bar needs to be read all the time because the look of my app has always been that it's a red app bar. Then you just set that one explicitly in the instance of the app bar or in the theme that um, encapsulates it because you can have scoped theming in Flutter. Uh, so it's everything will be overridable, but the re idea really is that the dynamic palette, as we call it, that comes from the user is fully dynamic and comes from the um, the, the user's choices. So um, it may take some experimentation to find out which parts of your app are best uh, going to be served by dynamic color versus static color choices that you're making. It for me is like as a think about a business, right? Because most of my clients are, are startups and everything. Their colors are their brand, right? When you see certain things, it really represents it. I, I just wonder how many developers who are really companies would actually be open to letting people change the colors, right? Because you're changing their identity. Have you got any feedback? We are very curious about that too. Okay, no feedback. I mean, so I think far. that's why I think. You're saying. Well, I think, well, but this is kind of pretty new. So yeah. um, we're definitely taking in that feedback, but we want to see how people use it. I mean, 
are some companies just totally uncomfortable with this and they actually want to set static colors the whole time. Of course, we are going to make that easy. We think it's important to make APIs easy to use um, no matter what uh, your goal is with it. Or are people going to uh, agree that having an experience that is customized to the user that makes the user comfortable inside their app is more important than um, making a pure connection to them through color. So color is one of the ways that, that brand is expressed, but it's not the only one. And then, like I said, 100% of your app being dynamic may not exactly be the goal for everybody. Choosing what is dynamic and then what is defined by your brand is a great way to kind of have the best of both worlds. Yeah, and we'll I, have some guidance mm -hmm. too as we um, begin to learn more about it. Yeah, I can imagine some pieces you want certain colors and some things you you, you don't, right? Like, uh, I, for instance, yeah. I don't see a destructive red in here, right? Which is quite common to have. Um, so yes, um, you're actually talking about what we call semantic color, and we're yeah. going to have guidelines specifically on semantic color because there are um, colors that communicate usage or purpose. And those need to harmonize with the dynamic color, but probably shouldn't be dynamic. Red for hang up. I'm looking at a red hang up button in the UI that you sent me for this interview. You know, uh, we know that that sort of thing is important, but it may be that um, the red that it is could be dynamic uh, to go better with the kind of um, saturation or brightness of the palette that you've chosen. Um, it can you also might be a great time to refresh those semantic colors in some way in order to feel like they're a little bit new. You know, green and red uh, for go and stop. I mean, they should be updated every now and then too. There are so many different greens and so many different reds out there. Yeah, I think so. Let me keep playing. I, I don't want to keep you too long, but this is really interesting. Getting the play-by-play. -play. Yeah. So, so here you here? can see how okay. we're. Well, we're applying it to um, the components, for example, to show you how um, they, they were kind of playing before, but now with dynamic color, they have a lot more expression, they pop, and then if you can play it a little more, you'll see what happens if, when we apply a new palette. Yeah, I, I mean, I see so many colors in here, right? I'm so curious, so I, obviously we're also a podcast, right? So it might need to be a little bit more verbose when we're speaking, uh, you know, everybody's looking sure. at the video, so. No, no, it's not the thing against you. So like, I do see like obviously there's a white background on a lot of this stuff, but then there's there's blue on some pieces, there's green on some pieces. So these well, are one the... thing I will say it's it's not a white background, Alan. It is actually an off-white background that is tinted towards the color palette. See. So now you harmonizes see why I was yelled at by my designer, right? <laughs> no, I mean because it's one of those almost imperceptible things where again mm. it gives a feeling without being in your face. Like the the fact that I mean I don't know if you've ever painted a house, but have you had to choose a white for a wall before? There are many 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 different whites, and some of them yeah. are green a bit or pink a bit. It, we are now kind of bringing that to people also. I mean that is very difficult for people to do themselves. To have an algorithm do that can make it beautiful kind of more automatically. And of course the reverse is true in dark theme where you're making the change on black or on charcoal. So what would you call this like to me, I mean coming from a bootstrap background, like I look at the at the dark green that you have over here on the OK button, that's like a primary color. But this blue is like a what what would you even call that? Like do you have a name for for these different types of shades and I'm, things? 
I'm not positive if the blue one is secondary or if the blue one is tertiary, but I believe that our designers have been actually experimenting with the idea of having a tertiary color because some designers, in fact, many designers have been asking for even more options and even more expressivity. Um, I'm pretty sure that this one is secondary, but, uh, and then the ones that are lighter are container. Um, we've heard that uh, one of the things people are asking for is more colors that are to define spaces, but aren't in your face the same way that a primary color is. If you look at the OK button inside the time picker there, it's very, very bold. But if you look at the action button inside the dialog, uh, it is not as bold. So um, they're both based off of the same color in different luminosities so that you can have um, ways of kind of screaming at people and ways of slightly talking to people because I think one of the things that about uh, material from 2014 was that it was screaming at people a lot. Like yeah. everything was primary color or accent color as we <laughs> called it back then. Mm. Um, and people got used to it, but it was it was very strong choices. I think, I think being able to um, whisper as often as you're yelling is important to sound like a person and to, to have a human connection. And that's what we're trying to do with design as well. And they keep playing this. So you also show more interesting. Yeah, basically, I guess this is the dynamic part, right? This is the dynamic part. This is um, uh, how with different palettes, it looks different ways. Now it's blue. Um, yellow is the secondary color here. Um, and this just goes with the personalization that a person ha has chosen. And it's honestly, it's really wonderful because I, when I play with it and I use it on my phone, I just get such delight out of this feeling that things that I thought I had no control over, I mean, there's such a personal device, phones and stuff like that, but in many ways, they're, all the choices inside them were made by somebody else, except for which apps I have and in what order they are. Um, you know, where, where are the icons and stuff like that? This is a chance for me to really be in charge of the thing that I've spent a lot of money on and that I spend so much time in. Would, you, would people like it if they weren't able to paint any of the rooms that they lived in? I mean, now that especially in, in pandemic life where we live and work in the same place, for me not to be able to put up wallpaper here would be really frustrating. Although I'm, I don't know if my landlord knows that I did put up wallpaper, but hopefully he's not watching. So um, this, is, this is kind of essentially the same thing. It's being able to style your world to go along with what pleases you and for us to kind of help you do that automatically so that you don't have to think about it. Um, I've, and uh, in Android as um, in the wallpaper app, they've also, um, I don't, I forget if this is uh, going to make it or not, but but they're, they're also looking at, are there like uh, just out of the box suggestions that we can make? I mean, we have these wonderful illustration and photography teams that supply really gorgeous um, images that we know are going to make great wallpaper, uh, I mean, um, great color palette choices because they're so vivid or they're so exciting. We are trying to give people those suggestions just as much as we're giving people the ability to, um, to upload the picture of their child instead. Um, so we're, it's, it's, a, it's a great time for choice as well as for inspiration. Yeah, I'm looking at the video and I wanted to show like we actually keep the same placement on the palette, right? So this is 
as, as long as you generate this palette, you basically will just keep the same, uh, what you call that, on the palette, the same placement or the same ones you make picking on the palette. Does that make sense? I'm, yes, the same luminosity. Yeah, so that's choices. why I said this would be really good for developers to have if this if this is really what. Well, this is what what's going to be going on under the hood automatically. You know, if you're using material components, this will just happen, yeah. um, which is really, really great. The, the contrast ratios are correct for the guidelines that we follow, and they are, um, y you know, there's not much that you have to do here, really. Yeah, but if somebody wanted to do, to use something like this, but for their own branding, like, like you said, if you want to give people the chance to pick certain colors, if they said, okay, this is our brand color palette, that would be interesting too. Well, like I said, the fastest way to do that will be just to upload an image that includes your brand colors in it. Yeah. And then it just kind of, I've taken a screenshot of what happens after that. But, oh, yeah, but yes, true. I also okay. take the feedback that it would be useful to have a tool. Yeah. But then we'd have to figure out what those colors are, right? We'd have to use an eyedropper Oh, well, that's what the eyedropper is for. Yeah, so yeah. that's what we use the eyedropper. Oh, we use eyedroppers all day long in material yeah. design for real. I use it also when I get a design, I get a picture. Sometimes I got to get the eyedropper, get the hex color, right? Yes. Although of course you sh I hope your designer knows about, um, the really great collaboration tools for, um, developers and designers like Google's gallery or Zeppelin, um, which is a, a tool by another company where you can upload designs from illustrator or XD or something like that, um, from sketch and then inspect them like you can put your mouse over it and they'll tell you what a hex value is for something um, if they use figma which is a cloud-based design tool it can do the same thing um, we're actually in a pretty good like era of making it easier for designers and to developers to collaborate and for that handoff to be more seamless um, we use that's figma. not necessarily we use figma oh, but you do there's there's always a problem because like sometimes i try to click on something but it's like telling me the background artboard color instead of the actual real color so i'm sometimes getting the wrong color uh maybe it's probably just myself not really knowing how to maneuver figma so well yeah i mean figma's a pretty cool company I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a video or article out there on um being a developer that needs to read these designs that come in and the best way to interact with them if they don't have something out there then i wouldn't be surprised if somebody else ever made a video or article on that you check on the internet google it yeah, I, I, you're giving me too many. You, it's supposed to be a nice weekend for me now. It's a weekend full of homework, thanks to you. I, I don't complain. I enjoy it. But at the same time, I would like to have a rest. <laughs> no problem. Maybe so, you can ask your viewers and they can tweet back at you the answers too. I hope they don't treat me like they, like AWS does where they send me five links of thousands of words every single time I get some question to them. No comment. <laughs> okay. Um I think material you, I think you explained it quite well. Is there anything else you want to expand on that while as a closing thought or anything? Just people are curious about when they're going to be able to um, play with it and to integrate it in their apps. Uh, our, we're hoping that um, towards the end of this year, we'll have the full guidelines and code available for people to integrate with. If you're a Flutter user, you can actually go over to um, github.com slash Flutter Flutter and look at the first pull request that we've put up for the nav bar, um, which is the first material you component uh, change that we've put up for people to uh, experiment with. And a lot more will be coming over time. So it, 
I, if anybody's wondering like, oh, do I need to do something to interact with these Android APIs that will be coming out in the S SDK? No, we will be handling that for you and giving you tools for that um, as time goes by. And they'll be the official ones that work officially best. So um, if everybody just holds tight, I promise that um, very soon we'll have something great for everyone to play with. Yeah, I just subscribed to the PR, so looking good. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, that's, that's by uh, M.H. Johnson, who's one of my reports. He's um, just fantastic, and I think he and the designers um, did a great job collaborating on that new design. Because what we do in material that people don't necessarily know about is the designers come up with the idea, but then they work with us. They work with someone from the web team and the Android team and the Flutter team and the Compose team to finalize that design and to make sure that it makes sense for users, that they don't forget anything, that it has the edge cases and stuff built into it. We have really great, we we are a team that works together. We sit next to, well, I always say sit next to, but we don't, nobody sits next to anybody anymore. But when we're back in the office, we sit next to each other and we work very closely. Actually, so you are, you have a developer background. So I was just kind of, I was looking at the at the code snippet that he has but i didn't see anything in particular that kind of stands out that says that like this is using the material you but i guess you're saying that material you is just going to be given and you have to explicitly opt into colors right so this is actually for the nav uh, the navigation bar it's a different class so instead of bottom navigation bar which is what the existing one is you just use this class instead which is navigation bar if i'm not mistaken oh yeah okay i see yeah you're right and you'll see also in the title of the pull request that it says material you. Yeah, I've seen that. It was not very clear that that's what it is, but it's interesting. Well, again, this is all work in progress. Yeah. So we don't want to, um, how to say it? We're, we're, um, we're working on it and it's not showtime yet. So this is a really great time for people to give feedback. I already see that there are some great questions in there from really, um, amazing people in the community that participate a lot um, on the Flutter repo, really great clients of ours. Um, this is this is our chance to um, listen to you while we're creating it instead of just working on it behind the curtain and then throwing it out there and hoping that people like it. Um, so especially for things like new classes that have new APIs, I see um, that, uh, you know, Mike here is has a really great um, uh, really great feedback on how that should work with icons and widgets and stuff like that. Um, I, I We're thrilled when we see stuff like that because you it, it's kind of like getting free research. You give us the answers when you tell us um, what's important to you. Obviously, everything every, things conflict and we have to make choices and stuff like that, but um, we would rather make a choice than make a guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is really good feedback you did give. It's I wish I could feedback from my clients and, and from their users that were very detailed with GIFs and, uh, sorry, GIFs and, uh, you know, nicely formatted text. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can just, I mean, shout out to Mike. He's always been that way. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, thanks for showing me this. I'll have to keep following up on what's going on. And so that's, the first one, um, you know, get ready for more over time, a lot more over time. And um, and uh, and thanks, Mike Ridstrom. So if we, actually, so if this gets merged in, then we could just flip over to beta or not even beta. Sorry, is it beta? 
the channel? This is first going to be on the master, master channel, and then eventually it'll come to beta. Uh, I'm I'm sure that we will coordinate with the Flutter team to figure out the best release um, plan for Material U as we get closer to understanding exactly when that will be, because they have their own plans for release cadences, and we'll figure out how to integrate with them. Very cool. Um... I'm happy to kind of see what it looks like, and it seems to be pretty straightforward. Okay. Uh, actually, I just have yeah. one last question about how would this kind of look on, on iOS, right, and, and web, and this front. I guess they don't really have that adaptive yet because you don't have a background. You can't read all this kind of data. Um, so, again, the, the adaptive stuff, um, we're... I'm very interested to hear from any listeners if they have opinions about um, what they would expect adaptive behavior to be. But that is something that we are going to figure out and have more details about in the future as far as um, dynamic color on different platforms. Uh, but we, I will just say that we do have plans on seeing how we can best um, make that link for people in different mm -hmm. places. Yeah, that would be nice. Okay, uh, again, very cool. Um, I don't want to keep it for too long, but is there anything else you wanted to, to mention before we kind of start to sign off? No, this was really, really wonderful. Thank you so much for everything you do for the Flutter community by having such a podcast out there. Um, I think the Flutter community is the best, most active, kindest community out there. And it's because people like working together and helping people and making new things. Um, so I just feel really blessed to get to work on a project that has such uh, a wonderful attitude. Yeah, I, the funny thing is, I feel that the Flutter community is very big, but at the same time, it's also very small. It's it's in yeah. a weird situation. Um, I'm pretty happy about being a part of it. Um, yeah, I think I do have a, just kind of a couple of questions to ask before we start to sign off. Uh, one of them is, uh, you know, as being somebody who has a developer background, like, you know, what... Do you have any like tips or tricks that you'd like to tell like beginners or people who are just, you know, moving up to intermediate to when they're making the Flutter apps? Do you have any kind of uh, advice for them? Um, see, for people who are learning Flutter, I would say that the the best thing you can do is to um, probably lean on the uh, code labs and videos that are made by Google and by other people in the community to help teach people. Some people think that they need to figure out everything all alone. I've been guilty of that before, and it really isn't the most effective way. In fact, oftentimes it gets people frustrated and they give up, but they may look at a code lab or video and think, that's not exactly what I need to know. Chances are it's something that you'll need to know eventually and that all these things kind of come together as a patchwork. If you get used to using a pattern that's in Flutter in one API, you will probably see that that sort of pattern happens somewhere else, like the builder pattern that follows people around in so many different places in Flutter. Um, so uh, watch the Widget of the Week videos. They're so good. That's honestly, I think, the best videos. Also watch The Boring Show, which is where you can watch um, uh, engineers from Google uh, coding a Flutter app in real time and talking about it. Um, and you know we call it boring because it's slow. So you can just watch it on like one and a half X on YouTube and it goes a little bit faster. But, to, but really, I think Flutter is something that is successful because of the amount of educational material that's out there. Take advantage of it, even if it's a kind of format that you're not used to. I'd never done a code lab until I came to Google, but I understand now that code labs are essentially teaching you 
how to do the job. It's really, really a great way to do it. And it, and it talks you through every step of the process. Uh, what about uh, state management? Like, do you have a, what do you choose for your state management when you're creating your Flutter apps? Um, well, I, I am not making a lot of uh, production Flutter apps. So uh, in being on the layer that we are inside material, we're actually very much outside of business logic and outside states. So okay. uh, I'm not the best person to ask on that, but there are lots of opinions out there. I think it's also a bit of a red herring. People worry so much about the state management, mm -hmm. but honestly, if you just make any choice, that's better than dithering and worrying too much about a choice. Just be bold and go with something. Even if you don't know what they are, you'd be like, what word is most attractive to me? Block. I love block. That has four letters. It looks great. Let's go with block and just see how it goes. <laughs> the best thing you can do is to do that and then see if you run up against problems with it and then switch else. to another layer or make it work for you. But the worst thing you can do is nothing. Yeah, true. It's an interesting answer. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying, though. I, th I thought... I think I had somebody actually say that they used uh, just set state, right? I mean, it depends on what you're doing, you know, if it works for you, then it's, it's all that really matters, right? Exactly. Okay. Uh, I'm also kind of curious too, like being a, a part of the Flutter team, like why, why is state management such like a hot topic? You know, it's, it's really a flame where once you just mention those two words, state management. I think a part of it is that we refuse to, um, coronate one as the ultimate uh, official state management by Flutter. We are, you know, our UberTL Ian um, is very, very opinionated that we should have opinions only where critical, that, that Flutter is a blank canvas and that what we should do is enable people to come up with different solutions because we are just the number of brains that we are, but the whole world has so many more. And so we wanna enable good ideas to come from all sorts of different places. So if we just chose one state management, then we would be limiting people from creating new ones. And we would also be recommending one that doesn't work for somebody for some mm -hmm. reason or another. What we want is if you're coming from, you know, a React background um, that you, you use, um, you know, I forget what that one is called. Uh, Redux. Is it, the, yes. If you already know that, then you use that one. But you don't go like, oh, I shouldn't because they only want me to use block, you know? Um, but if you already know block, use block. If, what if we had said another one? There's just a lot of reasons. And I think it's a choice that people have to make once and then move on. And they people get stuck on it because there are a lot of frameworks out there that make such choices. I remember coming from iOS, it was very, very clear that it was MVC, that Apple said, this is the way that we made our API so that you work in this way. But um, the truth is that there are lots of different ways of building apps with MVVM and Viper and stuff like that, um, that maybe don't get all of the attention that they should because they seem then like an alternative choice instead of just one of the family. So all these different ways of doing state, they're all valid. Um, I know everybody doesn't want to experiment, so that's why I recommend just choosing one, going with it, seeing what makes it, what's intuitive to you. You know, look at some code and say like, you know what, I kind of understand this one. That's the one I'll go with. The truth is that coding is hard. Our job is not fun a lot of the time, and there's no one that's going to be the right one that makes all your problems go away. They're just going to be different problems. So you might as well choose the one that you have some sort of connection to in some way.
and then you'll handle it as time goes by. There's nothing that we there's nothing that we could recommend or that somebody could build that would make 100% of people happy 100% of the time. Yeah, this, this is true. Actually, I am kind of curious. One last thing uh, about uh, Cupertino, right? So, is Material mm -hmm. Team also kind of running that too, or is it actually a totally separate team? So on so like I said, I'm in charge of Flutter in Material, mm -hmm. but in Flutter, the person in charge of Material is Hans Muller, and he runs the Flutter Design Languages team, and they work on both Material and Cupertino, and uh, so we're close partners with them but they um, obviously take their cues based on trends that they see in Apple's iOS design language. So um, we're friends and we are clients of theirs because like I said, Material adapts on iOS in certain ways. So we need the Cupertino library sometimes, but we are not, um, we're not usually building something inside that. But I, it used to be quite separate and now it really has come closer. Yeah. So we're good collaborators. Okay. I was also kind of curious about that because it seems like they're kind of part of it because, you know, people want to have a familiar iOS app, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. but I still feel like maybe they feel a little bit un unwelcome because, you know, Material is basically the Google design. So just, just my feeling. But, but it, yeah. It's all perception. I can guarantee you that we, that while we believe in Material design and we know that the impact that it has, uh, we would be, um, really doing a disservice to ourselves and our users if we believe that it was the only design system or design language out there. There are many different ways of doing things and all of them are valid and help each other. Ours grows from what we, from discoveries other people make and other people's grows from discoveries that we make. We really can't live in a mono design system world. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Chicago package that came out uh, from Google I.O.? No. What is that? Really? Oh, I, I'm just kind of curious what you think. Uh, maybe I can just drop it to you real quick. I guess it's based on Pivot from Apache. I don't know exactly what that is. I'll drop it into the chat for you to take a quick look. It's interesting. Kind of reminds me of Java Swing a little bit. I used to Java well, Swing. oh, it's funny you should mention Swing. Uh, Hans, who I spoke about, who runs the uh, Flutter Design Languages team, he was um, one of the inventors of Swing. Oh, really? Okay. Have you, oh yeah, look at that. It's very interesting, right? It kind of reminds me of, of writing Java GUIs back in my university day. Ah, right. So also if you look down at the bottom, there is, um, oh wait, this whole thing is by Todd. Yeah. Oh, this, this package is by Todd, that one of the managers, that's Hans's manager over on Flutter. Oh, so this is even above Hans. Okay, interesting. There's no such thing as above Hans. Hans is the creator of so many things. Oh, He's, really? It doesn't... He's, he's the, our idol in many ways. He is very impressive. But um, if you were going off a reporting hierarchy, reporting this, is, this is by Todd, um, which is cool. So I think it's a personal project of Todd's. Yeah, it's not under the Flutter GitHub org. Yeah, awesome. He, Great job, Todd. He gave a video about this. I thought it was pretty interesting. They kind of broke down how can you actually create your own widgets. And he basically wanted to copy this Oh, right. This was for his session. I haven't seen his session yet. It just happened this week and we've been so busy with other things. Yeah. Fantastic. But um, yeah, I've heard great things about building a desktop design language with Flutter um, session that Todd gave um, at IO this year. Everybody should watch it. He's so smart, by the way. Uh, Todd is a really inspiring person.
Listen, Alan, I hate to say it, but one of my reports is going to be so mad that I am four minutes late to our one-on-one -on -one with him. So I need to sign off now, yeah. but I've had a wonderful time being here. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you, too. We should definitely come back maybe next time there's another announcement in material. But uh, anyways, thank you so much for making time. I apologize for taking so much of your time uh, again. It's my pleasure. Thank you for coming. Of course. Thank you, Alan. And thank you, everyone out there who uses Flutter.